You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 483. I am Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen in the UK. Hello, David. Hello. Is it really the UK? Are you really united? Well, I mean, we're barely a United States sometimes here. I would say we're legally united, if not morally. Well, there's that. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you want to put United, you want to put a little uh, one in superscript next to it, and then at the bottom of the page, you want to put currently. Correct. <laughs> that is that is the way right there. Um, you know, we, we use the same money. <laughs> We're united in our denominations. Yeah. Um, money's, money's probably the only thing most people agree on. Mm. Everything else is up for grabs. I mean, even if you have a lot, you don't think you have enough. Yeah. Kind of the way it goes. Yeah. I uh, don't have a whole lot of new things going on in the tech world for me. I've kind of, I don't know, I've kind of found this place where, you know, for a long time I kept thinking I want to update the iMac, and I did that. I definitely have enough screen real estate now with great monitors, so I'm fine there. My audio sounds perfect in you know the computer setup. And gaming-wise, there's nothing out there that I don't own that I wanted. You know, yeah, I've got gaming. the Steam Deck, and I play that yeah. more than anything else. Me too. Yeah. In fact, I'm I'm telling the idea of getting rid of my uh, my Xbox because I just don't use it now. Um, everything goes through the Steam Deck. We we really are with gaming. Um, we we often talk on the other show about being an embarrassment of riches for oh, yeah. geek, geek stuff, but yeah. gaming is just the same. Oh yeah, yeah. At the moment, there are so many platforms and so many games to play, and it's all mostly excellent. I would um, agree with so, that. I mean, yeah, yeah there. You know, you're going to get an occasional thing that happens that's not very great, but for the most part, man, it's just everything is just. Hey, this is great. No complaints. Yeah. yeah. So yesterday I went to, uh, I think I mentioned on the show before, that Alexander works at a museum exhibit on a Saturday Yeah. Um, at the Science Museum here in Manchester. So I went down there yesterday to actually see him working for the first time. Um, and uh, I was, so the first time I've been in this exhibit, it's massive, absolutely massive. In fact, I'll, I'll, send, you a sh- I'll send you a picture because you can, uh, you can maybe put it for the show note. Um, threw my phone away. Why did I do that? You shouldn't do that. No, I shouldn't do that. I did that before the show, too, because it was making my uh, recorder buzz. Um, and, yeah, it's huge. And a lot of um, cons- of video gaming consoles, like historical ones, that I've never actually touched in person. So to actually get to play a couple of games on them was really, really nice. Um, I was playing on the Vectrex. The Vectrex which, was... Um an interesting product. I mean, it really began life that this company had a, an abundance of these uh, monitors that they didn't know what to do with, so they just decided to build a game platform around them. That's really yeah. what it started as. But they used they they built the uh, so they had a monitor that built yeah it has a built-in small monitor. Right. It was kind of the size of the original Mac. Yep. Um, but the the thing about it is that the reason I also wanted it. First of all, it yeah had the monitor built in, which back in the eighties, no other video games console did. No. That. Uh, and secondly, the get it used in I mean, as the name implies, it was vector graphics. So it was the style of line graphics, the sharp line graphics you got on games like uh, Battlezone and Tech, uh, Asteroids Tempest and stuff and, like that. Yeah. yeah. 
which made it quite an interesting thing. And it was completely self-contained. It came with the controller uh, and the monitor. And I, yeah, I I really always wanted one, and I've always wanted one. Um, I've never actually touched one before until yesterday when they had one had one there. And I got to play the. Uh, they had a, they had a game that was kind of packed in with it. There was originally, you can tell, it was originally meant to be a Star Trek game, but they couldn't get the rights, so they genericized it. But everything in it looks like a Star Trek stuff, you know. And it's, it's a pretty good game, I have to say. Um, I, I've played with an actual Vatrix many years ago, and for a long time I tried to get one, but I just didn't want to spend the money that it requires to get one. That was well, that, the problem. That, yeah, that's the thing. I'm going to jump on so, eBay and see what a Vectrex is going for right now. I bet yeah. it's... Uh, Vectrex. Let's see. Um, in excellent condition, this guy's got one. Seven bids, four hundred five bucks. Buy it now, right now, four ninety nine. Um, it, it's it's five hundred dollars. And this one's need, a thousand. Yeah, and like many things of that age now, they need a little bit of TNC TLC. Oh, yes. So you What's know, it? you need to replace capacitors. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the controllers can get janky. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's it's not, you know, unless you really, really, really love it, it's, it's probably not worth it. So that's why this is good. They had everything there. They had um, uh, the the um, what's what's it what was it called now the the Genesis with the Mega Thirty Two CD add on that I'd never seen before. Yes, they had um, things like the Neo Geo and the um, uh, what was it the Trip Hawkins one the C the CD. Oh, um, the Philips made it. Uh, CDI. Yeah, exactly. See, yeah, that that one. Yeah, they had they had a couple of those. They've got. Um, I mean, they had masses of things. They had all sorts of different things. They had a whole section on what they called physical games. So these are the, the like the games with the weird controllers. So there was a a Dreamcast there with a a fishing controller for playing super bass fishing. Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures uh, you just texted like me. Yeah, it's really, really cool, actually. Um, and um, I, I just basically popped in with my mum to see him there. I'm going to go back another week and basically spend two, three hours just playing games. Because oh, how, how could you know? It was awesome. Yeah, they had, and, and they thought about it really well. So everything is divided into sections. So they have a multiplayer section in the middle with about eight um, Xboxes on, uh, and they, they have Halo running on there. They've got a, a kind of a, a PC. They've got a new PC and an old PC section. So they've got about eight PCs running things like Minecraft. Everything is very red. Yeah, that's that's the theme. Um, and then they have old PCs running old DOS games like Tomb Raider and Wing Commander and stuff like that. Um, uh, and then they have a Mario area. They've got a Sonic area. They have an area uh, devoted to games that were developed here in Manchester because an awful lot of uh, video games were developed here. And they have all the Lego games there because Travelers Tales, the Lego people, were based in Manchester. Um, Some of the best video on. games ever. They really yeah. are. Yeah, and they had they have an indie section with with uh, you know indie games. They've even got a very tiny handheld bit in the middle with a Game Boy and a couple of other handheld consoles it's really kind of cool and everything is set up so you can play and what alexander does as part of the volunteering is making sure everything keeps running so um you know if, if things break or uh, they have more of all of this stuff in the back things break they trade they change them out they can change the games for people if they want to they show people how to play the games keep them on this is running and all that it's all very very cool i'm amazed that there's not very many people there 
in the pictures that you sent. Yeah, it was it was early on a Saturday. I think it gets busy in the afternoon. I think one of the downsides, particularly at the moment, is that this is uh, the museum is free, but you have to pay to get into this bit. I don't think it's particularly well promoted because it's been running for a while. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's like eight quid per person to get in. Now you can stay as long as you want and play in many games you want, but obviously. Uh, if you, for instance, if you were going with a family, that's that's a relatively big afternoon's investment, and so that that might put some people off. Now I know, uh, so. and you know this as well, that there are still physical arcades out there. We've been to one together, yeah, um, and that's Galloping Ghost in uh, Illinois, uh, supposedly the biggest in North America, which I don't doubt because I, I follow their Facebook posts, and they will still get one-of-a-kind or super-rare arcade machines in that they fix right there physically and uh, yeah. themselves. And you can just... I think it's 10 bucks or 20 bucks to get in and you just pay, play as long as you want, any game you yep. want, which I think is fantastic. So I wonder if there would be a, business, a viable business idea for what this museum is providing for people to come in. Now, yeah. I, I think that the average person going into a museum and then spending extra to go into this exhibit and play some of the games is a different beast entirely than opening it up to the general public for 10, 20 bucks to come in and play yeah. whatever you want. They're just going to, my, my fear would be they would trash stuff, especially the older systems. And yeah. some well, of them are yeah. n- not necessarily irreplaceable, but difficult or expensive to replace or repair. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, as we've just seen with that Vectrex, if the Vectrex they have there breaks, um, then um, they're going to have trouble getting a, getting a new one. And, and I, I, I believe the museum has technicians who can repair some of the, some of this. Well, stuff. the amazing again, thing is that it's just sitting there. It's right on the yeah. table. It's not under plexiglass. It's not on. Nope. It, it's right there on the table. No, yeah, because the whole the whole point in the exhibit is everything is designed to be played. Now, my so, my concern is for the true authentic feel that these are all connected to modern day monitors, flat screens. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you play an Atari twenty six hundred on a flat screen, that is, it it looks like shit to be honest. Well, fun, to, funnily enough, they had a twenty six hundred right next to that Vectrex. Yeah, I can see it in the uh, picture. Yeah. And and it had it was running Pac Man, mm-hmm. which uh, is obviously you know many many people of the day are familiar with. It was a it was it was really pretty terrible. Um, it was a rushed port. Uh, it didn't really look very much like the like the arcade game at all. They did a Miss Pac Man afterwards, where they spent a lot more time and money on it, and it was it was actually quite amazing. They got that they got such good results out of the twenty six hundred, but the original Pac Man was terrible. And one of the problems was it couldn't display. Um, enough sprites on on the screen at the same time, so they were kind of they made them it made them very flickery, and on the flat screen monitor because you didn't have the persistence of phosphor on the CRTs, um, it it looked even worse than it ever did. You could barely see the ghosts. Yeah, well, there's no um, scan lines. They could fix that if they put a scan line generator between the Atari yeah. and because that's what I've done here with my yeah. arcade, because you know with the Super Pac Man and I got the sixty and one board in it. It looks bad because I replaced everything inside the arcade. And the monitor is just, I think it's a 17-inch monitor, flat screen, laying, you know, it's it's a, yeah. a vertical. And it looks great, except all of these arcade machines are meant to be played with scan lines. 
Yeah. That's what well, TVs at yeah. the time. So I have what's called a scanline generator that yeah. is in line twi- between the yeah. two. And the 2600, it wasn't even relying on scanlines. It was designed to play, be played on an old TV. Well, that's uh, scanlines. Those old, the scanlines is the, the tube, uh, the projector is basically drawing the screen from the top down. Yeah. That's what yeah, generates it, the scan lines. And so when it, you don't it, have yeah. it, it looks goofy. Well, also as well, it relies on the persistence of that. Um, you know, the fact the that image. off the line goes past, the the image stays there before it fades. Correct. And you don't get that on an LCD. Correct. So, um, That's scan that, lines. That make, yeah. That, that, so that, that this is the problem. Um, I guess when they were setting the exhibit up, they had to decide, you know, what they wanted to do. And, and I would imagine... Um, putting old TVs on some of these old consoles would just make them worse. It it make them worse in terms of the maintenance and the the availability and that sort of thing. I don't think well, I would have put Pac-Man on that machine. I think I would have put Combat with two controllers. Yeah. Yeah, I well, Because that's what came that with the system. Yeah. And well, I think they have a whole load of they have a whole load of cartridges and people ask for what they want to play. So, yeah. I'd imagine somebody came along and asked for Pac-Man. Um, I agree with Combat you. Combat was um I, I would assume it's one of the very first multiplayer games, but Pac, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Pac Man. By the way, there's a hack. Or there's a uh, I don't know call it a hack. Somebody redid the Pac Man on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and it looks beautiful. It's a yeah. modern one. He did it like fifteen years ago. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It's so much better. But um, I remember when I got my Twenty Six Hundred. And I've told this story before, and I didn't want to go to my grandma's house for Christmas, even though I knew I was getting more presents, because I just wanted to stay home and play an actual video game at home. I mean, Pac-Man was terrible, but I loved it. It's Pac-Man, and I'm at home, and I'm, you know, nine years, ten years, eleven years, I don't remember what it was, young. I just wanted to play it. I mean, I I was addicted to the just the idea of playing a video game at home. Most people yeah. nowadays, if they're you know ten years or or more younger than us, you don't get it. You don't understand what a privilege that was. It was just I, I don't have to spend a quarter. I don't have to waste yeah. my allowance, and it's going to last me twenty minutes in an arcade to blow through five bucks. It, yeah. it was it was everything. And, and yet, of course, of course, you could get Space Invaders for the uh, for the twenty six hundred, which yes. actually was a pretty good clone. Of oh the, no, uh, it was really good. So was Asteroids. Yeah. yeah. So we go to my grandmother's house, and I I bring the Atari. You know, I put it right back in the box, and the one I got came with Combat and Pac Man. Pac Man was built in, I think. Right. But it was just, you know, they took the retail copy and stuffed it in the box. Um. And I thought everybody was going to want to take turns playing Pac-Man. And you could play two-player, you know. Yeah. You don't play at the same time, but you could play two-player. But no, everybody wanted to play combat. Everybody. Because you got to go against someone live, hiding behind the things or flying through the air. or It was fantastic. And Yeah, and what, what was clever about the combat cartridge was it had so many different variations of combat games yes. on it. Um, uh, it, it. In fact, you could... You know, if you played through all of them and you were playing with uh, you were playing with somebody, I mean, you, that was easy. Uh, a full afternoon's entertainment, just flicking through the different. Oh, ones it was, it was awesome. Out. Yeah, but yeah. you had to have two people with combat. Yeah, um, I remember my uncle Robert was quite good at it, and he kind of ran the house for a while until I don't think I was the one to beat him, but whoever won got to stay. Yeah, and but we hooked this up not in the living room where everybody was gathering, 
but in the coat room it was you know somebody's bedroom uh, yeah. where the TV was in there as well and that's where everybody was sitting on everybody's coats playing Atari yeah and somebody is it my turn yet nope you're up next I mean I it was it's hard to describe the the feeling of that now the excitement and yeah. the privilege of being the one who owns the system and knowing that all your relatives are playing with your thing and they really like it the adults as well yeah um, I, I I had a very similar experience um, when I when I finished my um, my last exams before I went away to college I was I was at boarding school and so the way it would work at boarding school is you every we, you had an exam schedule they were all the the, sh- the exams were imposed by an external um, exam board so they you did the exams when they decided you did the exams and obviously everyone's doing different subjects so what would happen is that normally by sort of mid-may-ish towards the end of may um all of the seniors would have finished all their exams and and basically would be staying at school boarding but have nothing to do until the school finished at the beginning of june so you had about three four weeks often where um all the seniors had you know were just kind of bumming around and i had a commodore amiga in my study oh yeah and i had a copy of fa18 interceptor which was one of the very early combat flight sims and it was pretty basic but it was uh, it, even though it was basic, it was quite a good simulation. It had six missions on it, and you uh, there was a story and all that. And what happened is, basically, I had every uh, senior in my boarding house would, as they finished the exams, would come and join the flight team, and we would all play F-18 Inceptor every day. And, uh, you know, I would even get... I'd, I'd, I'd be sat having breakfast, and somebody would come up and say, um, yeah, David... What time do flight operations start today? And I'll be there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's funny, you know, yeah. people think of video games as, you know, insular and that, oh, you're not experiencing the world. You're just playing those dumb video games. But that's not how it is. Cole, yeah. who, by the way, today is his 15th birthday, um, he plays video games in his room and he's got a laptop open and literally in his lap holding an Xbox controller with the TV on in his room, with a headset on, and he's talking to his friends. Yeah. They're playing games. They're completely interacting. Yeah, both my kids do the same thing. They will, um, they'll, they'll be playing, uh, I think Charlotte plays Genshin Impact mostly, but she plays with a friend, so she'll have her friends on, yeah. she'll be playing on her Switch, uh, and then she'll have her friends on, um, on her iPhone, or she'll be playing on her iPad, and she'll have her iPhone going with face, FaceTime or WhatsApp video most of the time. Yep. And they're all they're all basically they're doing exactly what we did, only they're not in separate they're in separate houses rather than in the same. And room. and I don't want people to. Well, I should say, there's no less value in that than what we did. No. I hate those Facebook posts, like kids today, and when I was a kid, I'd rather be. Yeah, I'm glad I grew up when I did because they show, you know, when they were young out there riding bikes and stuff like that. And these kids are just on their computer. And it's like, well, you know what, though? I I think I'd rather have it as they have it today because they have so many more choices because they could still do that. And kids do. But you could also play these immersive games that are just fantastic to play. Yeah. You know, I, I can't stand the whole, it was so much better in, in our day. Well, Shut the, up. The, what, what, what shows you that that's, there's not much in that is the fact that every generation says it. it yeah, our uh, music was better. 
yeah and uh and and what it what it really is is that is that you you don't as you get older you don't have enough time and patience and interest to look and to get as involved in the modern stuff no yeah so you what happens is you look back at the stuff you knew because you had the time and interest back then the music and the whatever you did and you think oh well that was better because i was into it but the reason you were into it is because you were young and you had the energy and you had the time exactly and if you if you were if you were young today you'd be the same as your kids yep yep you know that's why i don't discount the things they're into the things they enjoy and i've never done that now, no, I don't discount it. It is still, I mean, I mean don't get me wrong. I, I sometimes look at the things my kids are doing and I'm perplexed by them because of that reason. I don't have the time to get into them. No. Um, but so, so the, I definitely have the thing where I don't understand quite what some of the things my kids do. Um, and not, I certainly don't understand, you know, when they, when they start to explain, you kind of, you know, gloss you, you over. hear two, three minutes of it. And then, yeah, your eyes start to glaze over and you, and you think you realize you're not that interested. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's just that's just getting older. What's that's the name of the museum? Uh, it's, it's the Manchester Museum of Science and Industry. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, worth a visit. It's a large parts of it are being it's because it's in Manchester. It's a very industrial museum, and large parts of it are being refurbished at the moment. They have loads of massive old steam engines that used to run cotton mills and things like that, and those have been that area's been under quite extensive refurbishment for for a few years um but but the rest of it is still very good it's very interesting um, I, I tell you something that happened to me last night we had work uh our work party christmas party all right and yeah. it was a place i've never been to it's the Kal- uh, kalamazoo institute of art so it's on a one-way street so if you pass it shit you got to go down turn around go mm-hmm. around again so we get there and i i don't know where to park it's dark so it's things are not really well lit, and as I'm passing, I see a parking lot like right across the street for it. But mm-hmm. this is downtown Kalamazoo, so parking is you know it is what yeah. it is, and it says KIA Kia parking only. I went ah right. shit, so I kept going. <laughs> yeah, it's because I'm a car guy. I saw Kia, and I'm thinking Kia. Yeah. No, yeah, like they can only have a parking lot for Kia cars. <laughs> My wife was laughing at me. I was like, "What an idiot!" <laughs> it was it was quite funny. I had to park yeah. my Toyota in a Kia parking lot. Come back, it's got a ticket on it for, yeah. for being the wrong this brand. Is, this yeah. is this is not the right branded car. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, when I first saw the sign and I passed it, I was thinking, "Well, that's like a Keeler dealership or something." But no, I know where the Keeler Kia dealership. You know, that's eight yeah. miles down the other way I, I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> I thought that was funny I'd like to yeah. share that with you um, <laughs> let's talk about some of the other things um, you got a Kindle scribe I did yeah, yeah. Uh, right in fact I when I ordered it I pre-ordered it um, it kind of said December I kind of thought Christmas time so I'd, I'd really not thought that it was coming and then it just dropped through the letterbox and there you go um, this is this is kind of interesting. When I saw this, I pre-ordered it straight away because what it is is a, it's a like a large ten-inch Kindle, a bit like the old. You remember they used to do a Kindle DX, yep. which was uh, like a big like an iPad-sized Kindle. Yep. It's kind of like that. But if you imagine their top-end model, the the uh, Oasis 
kind of blown up to 10 inches. It looks a little bit like that. It's all metal and glass and very nice. It's a great reader, um, like any of the Kindles, the topping Kindles, with the, you know, the really deep LED black lights and everything. But what makes the reason it's called the Scribe is because it comes with a pen and you can write on it. So the idea is, is that you can use it as an electronic notebook and also you can annotate books or PDFs or stuff like that as well. Well, you can write on it. Just write, write. It's got a note-taking thing, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can you, you, you can use it as an electronic notepad, and you can just store all your notes on there. Um, the writing experience is very, very nice. Um, it feels very much like you're writing on a paper, much different than writing on an iPad with an Apple Pencil. Well, that's because, because it has, it's glass, and it's smooth, yeah, and it doesn't but feel Yeah, normal. exactly. It, it, has, it has the right texture on it that it feels much nicer than writing on an iPad. Um and you know the writing experience is excellent actually you wouldn't know i mean there's no lag um so uh it's it's really pretty good it doesn't it doesn't have the same levels of of touch and tilt sensitivity that an ipad does but for for what it's for for writing rather than drawing um that doesn't really matter for that so from that point of view it's pretty good um, and of course, you know, it's it's part of the Amazon Kindle ecosystem. So everything you'd expect in terms of reading, writing, uh, reading books, downloading books to it and everything all kind of works very, very slickly. It's great for comics if you can stand black and white. Yeah, um, that's not the no, no. But but if, if you want to, you know, it really I mean, it's it, it, particularly for older eyes, the fact that you've got a bigger screen makes it really good but it's it's truly designed as as a a note-taking thing and on that you know the basics are all there the hardware is great the basic software in terms of the writing everything is great what where it falls down slightly is that the um some of the way you get stuff on and off it feels like it's not been thought through so for instance you can put pdfs on there say you've got a you know a, a legal contract or something like that you wanted to mark up using the pen which is a natural thing you might want to do um you can uh, if you can if you sideload by using usb that pdf document to the kindle then you can't write on it it doesn't work which seems odd so the only way you can get it on and off the kindle is to email it using the send to kindle service which works great um you email it and within a couple of minutes it pops up and then you can annotate it and what have you and then you share the thing back via email to yourself um, and all the annotations come across with the PDFs. But the problem with that, of course, is that, you know, I said a legal contract that might be confidential and you're sending it via email, which is unsecure, through Amazon servers. So that's not ideal. I'd, really what you want to be able to do is, is load those documents directly off a cloud service, um, even if it was a proprietary Amazon cloud service rather than OneDrive or Dropbox or something. That's really what you want to do, and it doesn't let you do that. Mm. Similarly, the Notes application is pretty good. You get all different papers and things like that. The organisation of the Notes is not great, and neither is navigation. So if you've got a 10-page notebook, um, you have to manually move through the pages to get to the end to start writing. Um, rather than being able to jump to pages. And those notebooks only sync to the Kindle application on another device. So if you have an iPad or an iPhone, you can see them on there, um, but you can't get them out anywhere else, Um, which, again, just seems a bit odd. Yeah, that's kind of Uh, strange. It's yeah, and 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 so so this is the problem is that is that you then look at competing products. There's a company called Remarkable that's been doing this sort of thing for a while, and obviously their in- ecosystem is considerably slicker. 
but their hardware is not quite as good it's more expensive and it doesn't have backlit which to me is a kind of a killer feature for this um and then you can get various different Android tablets running e-ink software, uh, running with e-ink screens running Android. that obviously are much more flexible. But then the downside is that Android is not really designed to be run on a slow e-ink screen, uh, and so you can have problems uh, in in that area instead. Um, so I think this is a good first effort. I don't know how, uh, especially given the news that Amazon made last week that they are reducing people from their hardware and devices division um i don't know I, I don't know how quickly they're going to develop and update this but i'd say um you know if you're after a new top-end kindle and you also think that you might use the notepad functionality um you this might be worth a look it's cheaper than competing products and of course it's from amazon so there will be discounts there will be refurbs um and they normally offer the options to to spread the payments i think it's about 320 dollars, something like that yeah it's pretty expensive actually yeah well it's expensive for what it is i mean you, you definitely have to be really into this use case if you really want it but there are plenty on, on, on the kindle forums online there are plenty of people who have the higher end kindles the voyage and the oasis who have been saying well we'd really like a larger uh, refreshed version of those devices and so they're kind of all over this just as a pure reader um but you know you kind of you do have to be really into uh, that sort of device and reading if you want to spend this sort of money. Yeah, that's... Yeah. It, look, I, I'm not knocking it for the price. Yeah. But, I don't know. In some respects, it's just a Kindle that you could take notes on. Yeah. I can get a Kindle for 50 bucks. Yeah, but you can't take notes on it. Well, yeah, but... I don't know. It, it, yeah. It seems way I, more I don't, expensive I, I, than I don't, what it is. Yeah, work. don't get me wrong. I don't think this is going to transform the world. Um, I think for most people, they're quite happy taking notes on an iPad with a with a cheaper stylus. Yeah, if especially, they want to do that. Yeah, especially a younger you know. generation that doesn't get the whole it doesn't feel like paper thing. Yeah, but uh, but of course the the real advantage of this, if you want to use it as an ele- if you really are into electronic notes, is that being a Kindle, the battery life lasts about three weeks, yeah, whereas the, the iPad lasts eight hours. So that's the thing when you I, when you want a notepad, <coughs> you want to be able to pick it up and know that it's got power. And you sometimes don't get that with the iPad, whereas obviously with this you will. So that is the uh, flip side as well. Interesting product. Uh, I don't have a use case for it personally, but I can see those, you know, why it would be appealing to those who who do. You talked about the, uh, (coughs) excuse me, sinuses are getting me today. Um, Amazon. Let's let's talk about them a little bit because I posted an article in our notes. This is from a couple weeks ago, but... Um, man, I've seen a lot of stuff about this. And it's not just this subject. It's also the hardware as well. Well, I, yeah. I've always got the impression that they sell the hardware under cost. Yeah. Or, or at least close to cost. Because, like I said, you can get a black and white Kindle reader for... I mean, I saw them going for 25 bucks on Black Friday stuff. Yeah. And the same with the with the echoes. If you want an echo, um, and you wait for the for one of their, I don't know, they're on sale at least five six times a year, and you can get them well below half price, and you and they're not that expensive at full price. So if you're if you're picking up the latest Kindle, for uh, latest Echo, sorry, for twenty five dollars, I mean you know they're not making any money on that at all. They must be giving money away. Yeah, because those things are packed with technology. Um, so yeah, it's not surprised to find out that in fact 
that hardware division loses a huge amount of money. And actually, it looks like they've caught up in price because I'm looking at all new Kindle 2022 release is ninety nine dollars. Yeah, but that's that's just been released. That's brand new. So um, the older versions will be available for less. And I guarantee you, uh, in the new year, those are going to be on discount. So um, I, I, I believe even in, in they didn't do this on the in the UK, but in the US, if you wanted this new scribe and you wanted to save twenty thirty percent, you could trade in any old Kindle. So you could go out and buy a crappy old refurbished Kindle for twenty dollars, and then that would give you you know m- maybe a hundred dollars off the Kindle scribe. Wow! So this is not a part. This is not a. Um, a profit generating part of Amazon and famously I think we've got to remember that for a long time the whole of Amazon wasn't profit generating no so for a long time they weren't they are now obviously but yeah it the thing is their hardware outside of the Kindle itself and at this point I'm talking about their speakers uh, the whole Alexa ecosystem and I am including the Kindle fires in here um, are kind of crappy, to be honest. Yep. I mean, they're not they're not great hardware. <coughs> Excuse me, <clears throat> but it's designed to get you into the and staying in the Amazon ecosystem. Yeah. And on top of that, you look at the news that just came out that uh, streaming on Amazon just passed Netflix. Yeah. I mean, that's big, big news. It is. I. It doesn't surprise me to be honest because again i think they've sunk a lot of money into content they've sunk a lot of money into purchasing um different streams of content that that weren't available before they've got they've already got a um kind of a free ad supported uh part of their programming built into the amazon video um platform now yep so you know they're doing the same as every everybody else um, and yeah, pr- and Prime Video, which used to be just kind of a nice add-on, has generally been improving. You know, and we we've talked on our other show about the Lord of the Rings show, which is a billion dollars worth of investment. You I'm know, watching the um, Peripheral right now. I'm on episode uh, six, and yeah. it's surprise. Well, maybe not surprisingly, it's really really good. Yeah, it, and it's got you know, it's got um, Oscar-nominated actors in it, yeah. and that sort of thing. You know, this stuff is not cheap to produce. No. The the difficulty I had with these headlines, well, the big thing is is that the the long and the short of it is that the echo part of the hardware division, the bit that does the voice speakers, yeah, is is apparently the biggest money loser, um, and that doesn't surprise me because the investment they've put into that. If you think about how how uh, those devices were when they first came out versus how they sound now, and how they operate now, they they're hundred percent better than they were. They're so much better. They've got more natural speaking. The voice recognition is better. Um, they've got all the different form factors now. They've got ones with screens, one without screens. They've got ones with clocks. They've uh, pushed the ecosystem out to other devices. And then there's the whole um, works with the Alexa program to, uh, to to do integration with, with all sorts of different things as well. They've obviously sunk a huge amount of money in it. I think the problem is, is that um, they don't, they can't see uh, a direct economic return because no matter how good the echo devices are it's they don't they don't drive purchases of other of other amazon products because nobody really wants to talk into the air and say buy me such and such because you want to look at it you want to check you're buying the right one the right size the right fit the right color 
um and you can't it's all of that is much harder to do via voice without a screen or even if you have a small screen versus just doing it on your phone which is always in your pocket and i think that's what they've come up against uh and the words words i've heard are that you know the 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 ability to speak into the air which basically i i think you can't you everyone started doing it but it's really amazon that's made it popular um they've they've really kind of made it mainstream um that was a, a jeff bezos passion project and he's not there anymore and um the current head of uh, the current ceo of amazon has basically done a financial audit on this and is starting to question whether it makes financial sense for the companies c- to keep investing in it in the in a down market the only real thing that i can see that uh, i don't use alexa i don't um it, the idea that i'm sitting in my car and say alexa open my garage doors is kind of cool but the complexity of setting that up is a pain in the ass. So yeah. even though I tell customers that that's in every Toyota they buy, I've yet to have one person say, oh, I'm going to use that. They don't care. Yeah. Um, the, the Alexa in your home with speakers in every room, just to say, hey, Alexa, do something. I think for most people, sounds cool. But again, the complexity of doing that and the investment of time just isn't worth it. I'll just walk in the other room and turn on the light. Yeah. So for I mean, and shopping. Got, let's not even talk about yeah. it. shopping. Is stupid. Yeah. Hey is. Alexa, Absolutely. order me some more dish soap. You know. So so here's the thing. From my personal experience, um, we've got one of these in every room, and the, what we use it for is we've got a three story house. We use it to communicate around the house. So you know, when dinner's ready, uh, Leanne can say uh, say to the to the device, announce that dinner is ready, and every single speaker in the house will say so, and everybody comes down for dinner. Um, we use it to yeah so if somebody's in the top floor and we're in the kitchen and we want to talk to them then we can do a call to drop into it and um, and speak to them those are the main things we use it for and then alarms in the morning and uh, occasionally we we might listen to music those are the main things we use it for apart from one or two uh, enabled devices that that enable us to turn lights on and off Um, the lights we've got are in cabinets and are difficult to turn on and off manually so being able to turn them on and off by voice is convenient but i think that to me that that exemplifies how a lot of people use these things is they settle on three or four functions that they use them for all the time and then they don't do very much else with them and that only works if the devices are so cheap that you can afford to just buy one and mess with it and to find the things you want if they end up pushing the pr- up the price of these devices i think they'll find like apple did with the home pod that many people won't buy them because they they're going to say well i've got a limited use case uh, and i'm not going to spend a hundred dollars so, plus for it so then it comes down to if you're amazon and it, and it's <laughs> It lost ten billion dollars. The Alexa division. Well, yeah, I, I, I've I've got a slight problem with that reporting because that's ten billion dollars over what over the whole life of the program. No, I think it said yeah. this year. This year, okay. Well, then that if on it's pace 10 billion, to lose ten billion this year. Well, then then yes, that is a problem because even a very wealthy company. I mean, that's that's. I don't know how you lose ten billion dollars well, on. Well, what, I, I think how do you we, we know how that? we. I think we know it's. Um, it's funny math know, in there. there. There's no what, way that elect the division that does Alexa lost ten billion dollars. Yeah, in what? it's probably more, it's probably more like um, it missed a projection to make something. Or so, I, I I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I queried the reporting because let's face it, that's a quarter of what 
um, Elon Musk is frittering away on Twitter at the moment, and um, I think I think we all know that he's working pretty hard at that. Um, it's hard to understand how you might lose 10, 10 billion without trying. Um, See, and it, and it, you know, this is from Ars Technica. It says Amazon is going through the biggest layoffs in the customer in the company's history right now, with plans to eliminate some ten thousand jobs. One of the areas hit hardest is the Amazon Alexa. No, wait a minute. Yeah. Most of those ten thousand jobs are going to be warehouse type people. Let's be honest. Well, you'd imagine so, but who knows? But the thing is, is that ten thousand people divided by $10 billion, they're not paid that much. No. So cutting those jobs is not going to save that money. So where is the rest of it going? And that, I mean, this is the this is the question about the math, is where is that $10 billion coming from? Uh, because is it real money, or is it projected money, or is it uh, over the lifetime of the product? Or who the knows? Alexa the Alexa division point? is part of the worldwide digital group, along with Amazon Prime Video, and Business Insider says... That division lost three $3 billion in just the first quarter of 2020, with the vast majority of the losses blamed on Alexa. So this sounds, it's on pace to lose $10 billion this year. Um, this seems a little fishy to me. It does. Look, the, uh, whatever the actual numbers are, the long and the short of it is that, is that I think, as people have said, Alexa doesn't generate direct revenue. And I think people were expecting it to. I think the, the idea behind the project was always to have it generate direct revenue. Um, and and it doesn't do that. Now, I've always thought the problem with most of Amazon services is that none of them, I mean, Prime Video doesn't generate that much direct revenue. It's a Prime benefit. So you have to tie it through to Prime subscriptions. Right. And, and that's a very you know, difficult yeah. thing to do yes. to say this person bought prime and keeps prime because of the video thing you know well that's so, where a this is where apple comes in in my opinion that they don't treat siri like something else it's part of a mac it's part of the ipad it's part of the uh iphone it's in the apple carplay so when you're in your car and you're talking to your phone you're doing it through siri you know, it's integrated in all this stuff. So you can't really break it out of its own thing and say it's losing money. Well, how do you how do you project that? It's part yeah. of the whole ecosystem. And Alexa should be the same thing. I know they got this thousand dollar robot that they were working on that's basically Alexa walking around your house. Uh, yeah, rolling. I think I don't I, I think that's that's a, that's um Dead. look, this is part this is how they have burned through money. I saw. I actually saw a BBC documentary a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's a, it's a series about the science of modern, uh, the genius of modern science, or something. It's called. And it basically, for each program, they take a different technology and kind of break it down into its components. Talk about the, the science history of the components that make it up, and then how those are all brought together to make the product. And they covered Alexa. They'd obviously worked directly with Amazon because they had great access directly to Amazon, and they showed some of the Amazon test centers, these fake houses they have full of Amazon products. They showed the robot and, and this, that, and the other. It's obvious that that division has spent a lot of research money uh, trying out all sorts of different things. Uh, they talked about how the current the current devices, you know, have these beam-forming microphones and so that you can pick out the weight word in a, even in a noisy room and this, that, and the other. And they talked about how the AI voices have been... 
um, massively improved since it first launched by um, using different technology in the voice synthesis and what have you. They talked about what's happening in the data centers to analyze your requests, um, all of this sort of thing. It doesn't surprise me that it burns a huge amount of money. But I kind of I kind of feel Amazon must have known of that going in. You don't go and develop a, a robot that that has um, that has that technology built in that's going to go around your room kind of on a whim. You know that that's going to be a bit of a hail mary device that is not necessarily going to take over the world. Um, what I find un, un, unclear about the story and it's Business Insider who sometimes can be a bit of um you know they source their stories and all of that but they can sometimes draw some weird conclusions from the people they speak to because they've got a particular angle um and and this piece does feel like a bit of a hatchet job on the alexa division i thought so too Um, i agree yeah uh, and um you know and and i'm not i'm not i'm not sure it's i'm not sure the the financial side of it is particularly brilliantly sourced um so you know i i the the question is is how much are these devices going to continue to be developed in the future is it just going to slow down or are they is is this the sign of amazon doing a google and kind of abandoning it it's it's hard to imagine them abandoning it because i think alexa is so tied to the amazon brand now um and, and i i would argue it's certainly the most sort of um uh, public aware of all of these technologies uh, and and i find it hard to believe that amazon will walk away from that just because it's costing a lot of money to to drive it forward yeah. you know maybe maybe slim it down reduce the number of people working on it slow down the cadence get rid of some of the uh more extreme um r&d projects you know um may, maybe bring it back into in-house rather than all of the weird and wonderful things that you can get such as putting it in a car which is as you pointed out reasonably pointless yes um and and uh and and, you know just just kind of slim it down and and cost control it a little bit but i find it hard to believe that they're going to abandon it completely it i just i can't see them getting rid of it it's so integrated in everything that else that they're doing just, yeah. just like the Google Voice Assistant and just like Siri. The only difference, though, in my opinion, is that so far Apple has kind of avoided standalone Siri devices. That just It's just Siri. Um, yeah, because even the, even the HomePod is sold as a music device, exactly. not as a Siri device. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can kind of see where it would come in handy, but... I don't know. I, the one thing I never thought of is, you know, hey, Alexa, announce dinner's ready, and then it plays through the whole house. I could see where that actually would be helpful. Well, to me, there's part of the problem with Alexa is actually um, because, uh, and, and I've got to be honest, I, going back to the scribe, this kind of frustrated me as well. I opened the box up, and there was no instructions. Yeah, and the problem with Alexa when you get an echo is there are no instructions and you can talk to it but the problem is to actually find out what it can do you have to kind of pull through the app and even on there there's not a lot of tutorials and so discoverability is a real problem with these devices in that they can do amazing things but unless you know they can do them and you can figure out how to set them up they're not going to do any of them and i think that to me is part of the problem with these ecosystems I, I, I same same thing. My my uh, electric Volkswagen that I got recently also has a, a Volkswagen voice assistant in it, 
but I, I hardly ever use it because half the time when I ask it to do something, because I'm not using the specific commands it's expecting, it doesn't do it. And the problem is there's no way you can go to try and f to find a list of the specific commands to actually figure out what it's capable of. Toyota actually has a system that does that, but it's actually very robust. And it's one of the things I teach customers and I show them exactly where to go, where the, the system, A, will learn your voice. It's, and it's very naturally speaking. I, I give it commands in the way anybody would, and it works. And yeah. two, where you can go to watch video tutorials in the car to show you how to use the system. So yeah. I think Toyota's got a leg up on Volkswagen on that one. Yeah, and, and, and this is a... I mean, I, I, effectively, I had to turn the wake word off for the Volkswagen thing because it kept on firing off randomly. Um, but yeah, I, I and, and I've had my last three cars, I think, have had voice assistant mm -hmm. systems. And I've had the same problem with all of them. It's just like you don't know what it can do. Yeah. And half the time, so you try and ask it in natural language, you know, something that you think would, would make sense. And it goes, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. And so you're kind of then stuck with, OK, so I've got a box I can talk to, but I can't figure out, you know, it's, it's like if it's <laughs> like not to something it in a different work. language. Yeah, you need to. And I think that's that's the and it's not surprising that engineers fail at this but they've actually got to make it so that you can know or you can go and find out up front what it can do and how to make it do the things it can do and you need really good intuitive well-written um videos and and i prefer written stuff rather than videos because i don't want to watch four hours of videos to figure out how to work something um you know, written documentation about what it can do and how to make it do it. And, you know, all of these systems lack that. And so I can imagine there's a huge, huge amount of untapped potential where people go, oh, well, I didn't know I could call. I didn't know I could call people for dinner, where I was all I need to say is, uh, I'm not going to say it, but the, the right word, and it will then come out on all the speakers at once. Yeah, I know it was you. You knocked it over. Don't give me that look, cat. <sighs> um... Yeah. Alexa, Alexa can't control the cats, unfortunately. No. Um, they only really get up in mischief when I'm doing this. They were, we knew that they were going to go for the Christmas tree, and we were right. So I bought these yeah. uh, mats that you plug in with a nine volt battery. Mm -hmm. It works. Well, so when they step on them, they get a shock. Yes. <laughs> okay. It was hilarious. Yeah. They, you know, they only had to do it once or twice, and now they don't go near the tree. Does that um, does that create a smell of burning hair when they step on it? No, it's not quite that severe, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, mean, I was you hoping could, that you could juice them up and turn the cats into into well, electric Christmas ornaments. Yeah, I, I was trying to connect this thing to Alexa, mm -hmm. and then put it in the kids' room <laughs> under the sheet. So when it's time for them to get up, I just say, "Alexa, wake up the kids!" and yeah, you hear yeah, yowls. Shot them, yeah, shot them out of bed. Yeah, yep. that's, um, that's what you want. This next little bit of a news story kind of surprised me, to be honest. Um, I think those who are interested in Game Pass have signed up for Game Pass at this point, but you're constantly going to get a new influx of customers. Older gamers discover it, and younger gamers get become of age. But one of the new perks with Xbox Game Pass is it comes with a three month free trial to Apple TV Plus. Uh, yep. And Apple Music. Wow. I mean, when you think back over our history in technology, David, we're very aware of the 
competitive nature between Microsoft and Apple. Yeah. That doesn't seem to exist anymore at all, does it? Well, I don't think it exists on Apple's side because from the, their, I think from Apple's side, they they don't see Microsoft as a competitor anymore. I don't think so either. But, uh, because because they're not. They're just they they were. Uh, I mean, the bulk of Microsoft's revenues comes from cloud computing. Uh, that's an area that Amazon uh, that Apple is not interested in terms of a uh, a service to the public. They just use it internally themselves. Um, and whereas their streaming platform and their music streaming platform. They want to get it in front of more people. And Microsoft so doesn't a, do that at all. Microsoft doesn't do that at all. They've dropped, they've dropped all of that themselves. So yep. setting this, setting this up, and and it's synergistic because um, Microsoft wants to entice people to subscribe to the gaming platform because the gaming platform is run by that cloud computing service I just mentioned. Yeah. So, you know. This this is this is what they're looking at. This they're basically saying, well, you know, this is a win-win for both of us here. Apple gets more subscribers, we get more subscribers, um, and more benefit for wins. them to use the services because now you can listen to music. You can, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's a hundred percent. It makes sense. It's just weird. Just weird. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is unusual for those of us who remember the, uh, you know, the giant Bill Gates looking down on Steve Jobs as he uh, invests. Macworld, New York, to yeah. Help, to help save Apple, um, even though it didn't really save Apple. No. It was just, you know. But it was a sign. It was definitely a sign of a change. Um, and uh, this is a sign of a change as well, I think, you know. Well, I think it's... Uh, it's interesting. And you've got to remember the advantage of these three-month trials of subscription service is that what you're counting on is that some percentage of people will like it enough that they want to keep subscribing and uh, another percentage of people will forget they've subscribed and just never cancel it. And so the revenue keeps coming in. Uh, Last thing. uh, Let's talk about Apple for a second. Apple finally rolled out the update to the iPhone and Apple Watch that it's crash detection. That if you're in an accident and you're in a crash, it's going to notify the police and your, you know... the first thing it's going to do is it's going to ask you if you're okay. And if you don't respond, yeah, it notifies uh, emergency the services, the emergency services as yeah. well as your emergency contacts. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> which, uh, which was fine. So, sounds good. For, if you're yeah, on a roller coaster. For, <laughs> and this is what, this is what was happening is people going on roller coasters and it was being triggered. And, um, you know, you can go, Oh, fine. You can just turn it off. But if you've got your phone in a backpack, or your pocket, which let's face it, most people who yeah, have in their brain pocket. don't don't have their phones out while they're on the no. roller coaster. You're only going to get some of those Instagram idiots, but most people are not going to have their phones out, and so they're going to step off the roller coaster. They're going to stroll down the gangway. They're going to look at their photos of them looking shocked at them, that sort of thing, right? And then they're going to turn around, and then they're going to pull out their phones and realize that it's called 911 because it thought you were an accident. Yeah, and, 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 and your sister, who now thinks you're dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think this is funny. Oh, my God. Oh, my it's, God. It's, I it's thought a you were going to Disney World, but you've been in an accident. It's been an accident. It, you know, look, it, it's funny and serious at the same time. But yeah. It's, it's, it's you, one you of don't the, want these things calling emergency services, pulling them away from somebody that actually wasn't an accident. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's one of those, look, we all, we all get joy out of a story like this because we love a bit of unintended consequences. Sure. It's very humorous. But the point is, is it's absolutely right. And it shows the risk of doing these sorts of features, especially for Apple, who, because they, 
because for whatever reasons, COVID or whatever, they didn't have a lot of um, stellar updates in the lineup this year. And this became a headline feature just because it was something they could add in effectively with a little bit of hardware and software rather than, you know, bigger screens or, um, you know, new interfaces or AR or anything and like that. And this is, so, here, I'll give you an example of how this could have been fixed. The iPhone or in slash the Apple Watch recognizes that you're in an amusement park and prompts you to turn off emergency services because it could yeah. produce a false positive. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think... Uh, I, I mean, I, I believe the latest um, iOS update fixes it. Yes. It's supposed to have fixed it, yeah. and it doesn't do anything like that. They've just improved the algorithm. I, I would imagine it actually, the thing, the way I would do it is you use GPS to say, oh, you're in an amusement park, let's um, tone down the sensitivity of this thing. Particularly if your your movement pattern looks like, you know, if you have two hours of barely moving and then it suddenly happens, then that's a good way of knowing that you're on a roller coaster because you queued and then you got in. Whereas normally, um, you know, using, well, let's face it, you get, in the, you, you get at the moment with the iPhone, you get in the car, it connects to your car with Bluetooth and the phone then knows you're driving. Yes. It, uh, you know, it immediately comes up with, I mean, it's spooky when it does it. Yesterday morning, I got into the car with Alexander to take him to the science museum, right? And uh, so I flip on the car, and uh, I mean, my watch buzzes, uh, and it and it was Apple Maps telling me what the traffic conditions were between me and the science museum. Yeah, because it knows I make that journey every week. Yep. So well, the phone it, when I when I open my phone up to connect to you every Sunday at seven thirty a.m. I launch Wire. So yeah. when I open my phone and I swipe down, you know, to give me, so I start typing in wire, I don't have to type there it in. It is. The only yeah. time it ever shows wire is 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday. It knows yeah. that this is what I do. Yeah. I'll give you so, an example to Google Maps yesterday when I told it to take me to the Kalamazoo Art Institute or Institute of Arts, yeah. Kia. Yeah. Um, it said, the, a message came up on the screen on, in the car do I really want to go there because it closed at five? Yeah. I was like, oh, look at that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, with all, all of that sort of stuff, you'd imagine that that's probably one of the ways they're solving yeah. this problem is recognizing, the phone recognizing you're on a roller coaster. These things get no. better and better over time, don't they? Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, I'd expect it to recognize that your um, your bank account has been drained by an enormous amount of money from the tickets to get into the park. Yes. <laughs> and it would go, oh, well, Apple goes, here's another sucker today. There we go. <laughs> you know what we should do? Let's call a 911 on when he's on the Gemini. <laughs> Let's see call 911 and say, say, yeah, there's been a robbery. Well, they this say, guy's just paid $225 for a single, single day they're, ticket. They're listening to it. They, they got recordings at 911 and yeah. stuff. And you can hear that it's they're definitely at an amusement park on a roller coaster because you can hear people screaming and having fun in the background. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then they set the SWAT team out. That's right. I think there's a massacre going on. Oh my God, let's do them. Women and children. Uh, so, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We appreciate you guys listening all the way through. We'd love to get feedback from you. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Of course, you can just go to mymac.com or techfanpodcast.com and leave a message there as well. And we are on the Twitter and the Facebook. Uh, at least for the time being, at Tech Fan Podcast, David. We're on, we're on Twitter while it remains a thing. Yeah, while it's still actually there. Yeah. 
I'll see you in a week. See you then.